Rehoboam had a choice. As king of Israel, he could have been a servant to the people and speak good words to them, as verse 7 of 1 Kings 12 says. Instead, he led like an Egyptian taskmaster. The people lost their enthusiasm to follow. Rehoboam lost half the kingdom, and Israel began its declension. Uh, one writer calls this a wretched story of folly and selfishness on the part of the leader. If Rehoboam had wanted to split the kingdom, he could have found no better wedge than this blustery promise of tyranny. Rehoboam illustrates how negative leadership is a recipe for failure. Scripture calls us instead to what I'll be calling positive leadership. Oswald Sanders put it this way, it is the capacity and will to rally men and women to a common purpose and the character which inspires confidence. William Hendrickson said something similar in his comments on uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. He's speaking here to fathers, but it applies to all leaders when he says uh, that they should create an atmosphere which will make obedience an easy and natural matter, namely the atmosphere of love and confidence. Though, he says, the negative admonition cannot be avoided, the emphasis must be on the positive. Or John Stott says something similar. Leadership and lordship are two quite different concepts. The Christian leads by example, not force, and is to be a model who invites a following, not a boss who compels one. And so as we I think this morning about this idea of positive leadership, which was rejected by King Rehoboam, though uh, taught uh, by Jesus and uh, practiced in large measure by his disciples after him, want to wrestle with three questions. First of all, the question, why is positive leadership important? Why is positive leadership important? Let me just set a few things before us as we think about the, the necessity, the significance of positive leadership. And the first is this. We are all always influencing, right? There's, there's no such thing as those who are leaders and those who have no influence, right? We're always all influence. You can't turn off leadership in the home, in your community, in your church, in your friend group. And so the way that you lead always matters. Even outside of formal leadership activities, leaders are leading. And so we could give a hundred examples, but just think of, for example, how you practice hospitality or participate in worship or support unwelcome decisions or communicate with your wife. Leaders are setting the pace. And so positive leadership is important because you can't not be leading. The question is, how are you leading? Second, we should realize, especially from the example of Rehoboam, how negative leadership is disastrous. Where leaders are pessimistic or fearful or harsh, 
unprincipled, indecisive, or otherwise negative, an unhealthy culture will develop around their leadership. John Stopp said this, discouragement is the greatest occupational hazard of a, belie of a believer as it can lead to a loss of vision and enthusiasm. If a leader discourages his or her people, well, they'll lose interest as the people of Israel did. El Moeller uh, adds to that saying this, if leaders do not lead well, their lack of enthusiasm, if not their open antagonism, will weaken the work and threaten the mission. Negative leadership is disastrous. Third, positive leadership is transformational. The uh, advice given by the old men was good advice, and you, couldn't, you can imagine what might have happened had Rehoboam taken that advice and spoken kindly and led his people in this atmosphere in which obedience would be easy. The right leaders help an organization become greater than the sum of its parts. A positive leader doesn't simply make good decisions. He inspires others. Followers of Jesus need leaders who affirm, encourage, and exemplify godly hope and confidence so that they can practice those traits that Jesus is calling us to practice. John MacArthur was asked about the vibrancy of his congregation, and he pointed uh, immediately to its leaders. He said this, by affirming and emulating the godly example of our elders, the church has opened the door to extraordinary blessings from the hand of God. Positive leadership is transformational to a community. And then fourth, lest it seem that our emphasis on positive leadership is merely pragmatic, we should note that God commands positive leadership, not in those words, you could use different words perhaps, but just notice, for example, that the qualifications of, of an overseer in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 describe what we're calling a positive leader. He exercises and cultivates moral integrity, relational fidelity, and emotional stability. He's able and willing to share with others what God has shown to him. He doesn't lord it over others, but serves them. His even-handed, nonviolent leadership bears fruit in the home, in the family, in the church, in the community. His character cultivates an endearing reputation, even with outsiders. And so the the commands that Jesus gives, the requirements, especially for church leadership uh, on the part of overseers, uh, is what we're calling positive leadership. And then fifth, Jesus didn't simply um, command positive leadership. He models it in his own leadership. Jesus modeled positive leadership. D.A. Carson writes that the life and death of Jesus are to constitute the measure of Christian leadership. Christ, of course, never shied away from necessary battles. He delivered scathing rebukes when necessary. But Jesus is a peacemaker. His earthly ministry was characterized by tears, by generosity, sympathy, courage, humility, gentleness, clarity. 
He personifies kindness, compassion, sacrifice, prudence, timeliness, and so many other wonderful, beautiful, desirable traits. Our good shepherd uh, never condemns us, never forsakes us, never belittles us. He doesn't lead like that, like the Gentiles. Instead, he sacrifices his glory, his blood, and his life to make us whole and to bring us with him to heaven. The king of kings, one who surely could lord over his people, chooses instead to call us friends. He comes into our lives and shares himself with us. Men follow him, women follow him because they are drawn in love, not shoved by fear. Jesus, I, I think we can say, is the quintessential positive leader. And he calls each of us to lead like him. And so positive leadership is, is vital if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to honor his command to be servants, to live like him in our leadership. So that brings us to another question. How do positive leaders lead? And I think there's a lot of things that we could say about this, but I want to hopefully um, keep it simple by emphasizing three things. Positive leaders excel in the three foundational traits that every believer possesses. And by that, I mean faith, hope, and love. So the scripture isolates these qualities um, as essential in the believer faith, hope, and love, but the positive leader excels in these things and is a pace setter in faith and hope and love and is able to lead well because of his or her possession of faith, hope, and love. Let me just tease it out a little bit for you, each of those three traits. First of all, in terms of faith, positive leaders have faith in God, confidence in God, rest in the Lord so that they can lead well. Good leaders, the world says, are confident, right? But they're ordinarily confident in, their, in themselves, in their giftedness, uh, in the fact that they practice positive thinking. But that's not what we mean about a positive Christian leader. Positive leaders in the church are confident in God. They know because the Bible tells them so, and the Spirit has convinced them of it, that the Father upholds them, that the Son indwells them, uh, the, that the Spirit rather indwells them, that the Son's blood and intercession covers them. And that, that, that brings a great ability to lead well, not out of self-confidence, but in confidence of how they're um, kept secure by the triune God. Because positive leaders cast their cares on God, they don't crumble under conflict or criticism. They don't avoid hard decisions because they have God supporting them, upholding them. Jesus Christ interceding for them. The Spirit in encouraging and comforting their souls. Oswald Sanders puts it memorably in this way. He says, positive leaders who have faith in God have learned to transfer the weight of spiritual burdens onto shoulders bigger, stronger, broader, and more durable. And so positive leaders know that in themselves they're weak. 
and in a certain sense on their own, have no business leading at all, influencing anyone. But we, we cast our cares on the Lord, and he upholds us and frees us from the opinions of men, and we are then able to lead well. Good leaders, of course, care about the opinions of others, but are not terrorized by them. They care more about the uh, thoughts and words of God than those of other people. John Stott put it this way. I find this helpful. He says, to be accountable to God is to be delivered from the tyranny of human criticism. And positive leaders are. They, they're accountable to God. They trust in God. And therefore, they are delivered from the tyranny of human criticism. So, just a glimpse at how positive leaders excel in faith on behalf of the people that they're leading. Second, positive leaders hope. I'm only going to be able to look at a sliver of what that might look like, but we could say this. Good leaders help others to look to the future with confidence in God. That's what hope is, right? The Heidelberg Catechism, uh, speaking on providence in uh, question and answer 28, says that providence enables us with good confidence to look to the future. And that's what leaders need to do on behalf of their people, their organization, their family, to look to the future, not just here and now, uh, responding to the immediate needs. That's not good leadership, if that's all we do. We look to the future with hope. Al Mohler said this, leaders must know the way the organization should be directed and the course that must be taken and have the skill to motivate others to follow that lead. Jason Holopoulos adds this, positive leaders willingly weigh in on big decisions and think through methodological and practical issues in the church. Or the Apostle Paul, we're told in, uh, by Luke in Acts 19, verse 21, um, purposed in the spirit, his hope, his forward uh, looking caused him to lead looking to the future. It says that he uh, laid out a plan to bring the gospel beyond the bounds that he had uh, uh, presently ministered in. And then he took action, sending ministers ahead of him to prepare the way for him. He's, he's, he's hopeful. He's looking to the future. Of course, trusting God to establish the work of his hands. Positive leaders hope. And then third, positive leaders love. Positive leaders, first of all, know that love is the best motivator. Not fear, not threats, not guilt. Paul says this, the love of Christ compels us. William Hendrickson offers this three word theory of motivation when he says, love precedes obedience. Love precedes obedience. Positive leaders get that. Uh, and, and this means then also that positive leaders will project love. David Murray put it this way, a sunny character and joy-filled words attract people and empower them. Much easier to follow such a person than someone who looks like a tornado and who speaks like an undertaker. To, to say it a little differently, positive leaders are likable because their personalities are flavored by the fruit of the Spirit. So not likable in a sense that uh, the leader is always trying to do things that make you like them, favors or whatever. 
you know, putting on a, a false face. But think about it, the fruit of the Spirit, if, if, if you're flavored by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, what's not to like about such a, such a personality? And people follow often those that encourage them in that way. Third, positive leaders speak love. Proverbs 18.21 says that words can kill and bring life, and positive leaders know that, and they use words wisely. Of course, only God's grace can, can bring life from death. However, P.Y. Young says, by means of words of wisdom and kindness, such spiritual desires may be fanned into a flame by positive leaders, using words that build up, that encourage, that equip. Positive leaders resist complaining, use words to build up and make others feel valuable, and speak hopefully, even into a scary future. Those are the kind of leaders we need, especially today, isn't it? And then positive leaders practice love. Positive, positive leaders love by compromising, by building consensus, by promoting cooperation, willingness to compromise preferences, never convictions allows leaders to unify people around essential callings rather than divide on non-essential matters. Even amid differences, the positive leader, Stott says, helps and encourages all God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. That's what the positive leader wants. Others to grow and flourish and not to rely on him or her. Positive leaders love difficult people recognizing humanity's universal need for grace. So the point in that, in that section is, I think, this. Negative leaders are self-confident, antagonistic, and fear-driven. Positive leaders, rather, instead excel in faith, in hope, and in love. I want to ask one question and interact with it with you before I close, and that is, how can I develop positive leadership? Thankfully, biblical leadership can be cultivated. John Maxwell put it this way, although it's true that some people are born with greater natural gifts than others, the ability to lead is really a collection of skills. We might modify that a bit and say um, spiritual disciplines or, or pursuits or something like that, but he says, nearly all of which can be learned and improved with God's help. Citing an important study on leadership, Maxwell says this, it is the capacity to develop and improve their skills or disciplines that distinguishes leaders from their followers. Successful leaders, in other words, are learners. How do we learn then to lead better? Let me close with a few points of application in terms of how we might grow in our leadership uh, capacity. First of all, positive leaders evaluate their leadership. They listen to correction and respond to criticism thoughtfully. Uh, John Stott says this, when our authority is questioned, threatened, or resisted, the great temptation is to, what? Insist more strongly, right? To do what Rehoboam did. But we have to resist that temptation. We, we have to evaluate our leadership. And sometimes people help us to evaluate our leadership, even in ways that we wouldn't want them to help, you know, by ask, by questioning, by... And so 
we should, in fact, not only hear what others are saying, but we should ask others to help us evaluate our leadership. Each year, uh, my elders and deacons uh, do a pastoral evaluation of me, and one of the sections in that quite lengthy evaluation is on pastoral leadership. And there's questions asked, does the pastor respect the congregation? Is he approachable? Uh, is he, does, he, does he learn from God's people? Uh, is he is he kind in his engagement with people? And all those kinds of questions, and those are hard to be graded on uh, when the marks aren't perfect. But we have to, if we're going to be better leaders, we have to be able to evaluate our leadership. Second, positive leaders ponder their weaknesses. Be honest about your leadership weaknesses. Are you overly aggressive or highly critical? Are people uncomfortable approaching you? Are you timid? Are you spread too thin, making, as one writer put it, a millimeter of progress in a million directions? Has your negative leadership created the ideal breeding ground for rebellion, which is what we saw with Rehoboam? He exerts negative leadership and people quit and give up. Reflecting on weakness is the first step to recovery, to becoming more faithful, provided that we do the third thing, and that is that positive leaders repent of their failures. The uh, Westminster Catechisms give a, a formula for real repentance, and I'll just apply this here to leadership and encourage you and I both to grieve over and hate your leadership sins. Trust the mercy of God. In other words, as you're grieving and hating your sin, don't, don't give up. Don't uh, check out. Trust in the mercy of God, that he's patient and kind and compassionate to you. And turn from your sin, striving for new obedience. What if, what if Rehoboam had done that? You could imagine, at least theoretically, the future of Israel being different. But he wouldn't repent. It was clearly a bad idea. It was, it was clear from the start, from his first implementation. He sends, he sends a taskmaster into Israel, and he gets stoned. Uh, well, it suggests uh, to you how things are going to go. But he wouldn't repent. Repent over your failures. Fourth, positive leaders follow good examples. Someone said that 85% of leaders owe their success to the influence of another leader. I, I don't know if that number is accurate, but... The point is, we are uh, to seek out and sit under good leaders, ask questions, take in uh, their example. And if we're not able to do that in the flesh, uh, perhaps read their biographies or things that people have written on leadership. I don't think we should be reading too many books on leadership and get distracted in that way, but read some books on leadership. And those who have done it well would be the ones to imitate. Number five, positive leaders develop leadership skills close to home, usually in the home, but, but close to home. In other words, the best leaders have immodest, uh, rather have modest ambition, right? The, the wrong kind of leaders have massive ambitions, right? They want to be great everywhere. They want to lord it over as the Gentiles do. They want to rule in, in the fullest extent that they can. Um, faithful leaders just, just look at where the Lord has given them influence in the home. Maybe it's in a small group Bible study. 
Maybe it's with your neighbors or, and just say, Lord, I, I want to be faithful here. I want to lead these five, 10, 15 people faithfully. Try to hone your leadership skills close to home. And then finally, number six, positive leaders grow in grace. Peter closes his second epistle, doesn't he, saying, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Only God can make you a better leader. But the catechism, Heidelberg Catechism says this, question and answer 116, God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. So God is calling us to grow in the grace of positive leadership. And the chief way that we do that is by praying for the Lord to give us that grace, that he might mature us, that he would be good to us. You are a leader. You can't escape that. You can't avoid that. Some of us are preparing for uh, specific leadership positions. And so you need to pray. Pray for greater humility, even as you're growing in knowledge. Pray for greater humility. Pray for better listening, even though you're becoming better equipped to speak and tell people what they might believe. Be, be growing and listening. Pray for that. Pray for longer suffering, that you would be patient as a leader. Pray for deeper tenderness, to truly understand the hurts of this world, not just uh, abroad, but the hurts in your, in your home, in your, in your marriage, in your family, in your children, in your, in your friends. Pray for bolder creativity. Pray for more contagious cheerfulness. Pray for Christ-like communication. Pray for consistent courage and stronger faith in the Lord that you might be able to do what's right even when it's unpopular. That's what leaders have to do. And then pray expectantly. Expect God to meet your leadership challenges for his glory. You're weak. I'm weak in leadership. But we pray that the Lord in our weakness reveal his strength and help us to shepherd God's people more faithfully. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness to us. Thank you for your strength. Uh, thank you that you, uh, yet in your strength, are tender toward us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow Jesus in this calling of leadership as mothers with children and fathers and husbands with wives and families as uh, teachers in our churches and our schools. And we pray, Lord, that we would not lord it over others as the Gentiles do, but that we would be ministers, servants, uh, following after our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We thank you for that gift, that indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.